Well, so Evan, I would love to know um, to start how how you came to work with Hopper's Reserve or Hopper Reserve. Yeah, so I have a relationship with um, the trust, the, the Hopper Art Trust agent, uh, Leslie Silverman, uh, who works at UTA in the Fine Arts Division. And so she's been working with the trust for several years, representing the photography and anything else in the fine arts world. And when Leslie and I were talking, she was mentioning what they wanted to do with respect to a brand for Marin's father, for Dennis. And we're talking about what we do in the world of brand incubation and brand development. And that's how we got connected with Marin and the trust to bring this brand to life. Okay, that's interesting. Um, so that kind of brings me to something I wanted to, to expand on. Do you think, well, maybe we'll start with this. How does, how does Hopper Reserve incorporate that original artwork into the design of its packaging? What was the process for that? Yeah, so everything we do at, at Hopper Reserve really is a function of understanding the, the benefit of art and creativity. And one of the things that, that Dennis was very well known for in certain circles is his photography. And it's been shown all over the world and he has some of the most iconic uh, photographs. And when we were thinking through the, the purpose of the brand and the architecture of the brand, a big part of that was incorporating Dennis's work directly and, and not just his persona. And when we started thinking about the design of the brand and the packaging, it's really important to think about how that pops. And so, you know, when, when you come into retail, the first thing someone sees is the packaging and or the retail merchandising. So for us, it's really important to, to have something that stands out. Um, but really the, the process was around the artwork and the creativity first. We didn't go into it with a package in mind. We went into it with Marin and Aaliyah, and, and Aaliyah Penner is the LA-based pop artist who's had a relationship with Marin and the Trust now for some time. Um, they originally did some work together on a um, partnership with JetBlue. And, and so she had a great familiarity with Aaliyah and Aaliyah with the family. Uh, she's third generation to Panga Canyon, where Dennis had a house and grew up in the 60s. And, and so there's a lot of familiarity there. And when we sat down with Aaliyah to talk about the process, it was, what inspires you? And what do you take from the work that you want to bring to life? And a lot of her process is marrying these iconic old black and white photographs or artwork and bring it to a contemporary form today that brings color and movement. And most of Dennis's work at, at the time was black and white, which has a, a very um, unique dimension to it because it, it doesn't reflect reality necessarily. It reflects a point in time that has uh, a very specific sensibility. And Aaliyah really appreciated that sensibility and marrying that with color and with movement really brought that to life. And so we started with the art and the inspiration that Aaliyah had and the creativity that she wanted to bring to, to meld those two worlds together. And then we looked at how we bring that artwork into packaging, which is a process because if you don't design artwork for the purpose of packaging, 
you know, I have to cut up artwork, move things around and make it fit. And so we spent some time working with our packaging and the design that we had and the artwork from Malia to make it fit on the initial brand packaging. Um, but it was, it, it's been really fun. And, and you know, what it, it does is it, it brings someone into an experience right up front and, and the artwork and the photography really puts you in uh, a place that is reflective of whether it's, you know, an experience you had or an experience you think that the photographer had. And that's really what we're looking to do with, with the work from Dennis and also the work from Malia. So I'm, I think that's an important component is creating that emotional connection. Um, and any good marketer knows that emotional bond can really drive sales. Do you think, um, creating sort of a, a visceral reaction was a part of the marketing strategy from the start? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. So we, we split apart the two elements of the brand architecture and how we look to market the brand and the um, visual identity and the creative aspects of it um, so that they could stand on their own and, and the work that we do from a design perspective could, could stand on its own as, as artwork and, and design work. And then the work that we do in the brand architecture and marketing could stand on its own, uh, both in the technical and the emotional side of it. Um, it. It is definitely important to get that immediate emotional connection, that visceral connection with a consumer, either to create intrigue. What, what is this product about? Uh, how it's gonna make me feel? All of those different elements are really important from the start, especially if there's no word of mouth or messaging that they had previously or any other connection to it. Um, so we, we thought about that in the sense of how does creativity play a role in the consumers that we want to engage with and unlocking their creative interests. And so the emotional response is both to the work itself and, and someone who appreciates the artwork for the sake of the artwork, but also someone who appreciates their creativity and wanting to share, um, you know, express themselves. And that, that's a big part of really what our intent of the brand is, is to bring out the importance of creative self-expression, uh, to be able to put yourself out there and to be vulnerable, which is really what that is all about. Uh, it's a reflection of yourself to, to have this out there. And as a consumer comes up to the packaging, there's an immediate connection and it could be good, bad, or indifferent, but there is an immediate connection to something that they're seeing. And so um, the actual packaging design itself was not the initial thought when we built the architecture. It was the structure of having the artwork as part of that and creating those connections to the consumer that we thought out initially. That's powerful. And as the founder of Fiorello, you've seen a lot of brands you know, come and go. In your experience, what do you think are some of the most important factors for building that brand recognition and longevity? Yeah, you know, it all comes back down to the brand architecture. And I think a big reason why a lot of brands fail is they think about the product and the marketing for the purpose of sales and not the intention of the brand itself. And there are different value propositions for why consumers will purchase a product from a brand. Um, but ultimately, the reason why they come back is because some uh, interaction, some engagement, some uh, 
desire to continue to support that brand. And it might just be purely value. I get a certain, um, you know, quality of experience in that product, or I get a certain, um, you know, value from that product. But it's also, why do I want to engage in that brand? So the brand architecture, the purpose behind the brand, um, what that brand stands for, what its um, brand purpose or brand mission is, is important as well. And so we spend a lot of time focusing on who is our initial audience that we're, that we're speaking with and what are the cultural touch points. And, and with Dennis, it was, um, you know, really a, a cultural linchpin of the late 60s, early 70s with Easy Rider and really flipped the, the way that Hollywood understood filmmaking and expressing on film. And that's what Dennis did. And so for us, the foundation of the brand was the most important piece because if we didn't have that, we wouldn't have the messaging that we can consistently put out in market, which is around art and creative self-expression and self-realization and things that consumers can then engage with. And so that to us is really important. And a lot of brands miss that because they started with, we have a product that we're trying to sell. And that can work um, when you have a lot of resources, money, relationships, whatever that may be to support the sales. But it may not support the brand if the brand doesn't have the structure that it needs to sustain changes in the market, changes in consumer sentiment, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you see the best brands, they're not products companies and people don't buy them for the product itself. The product embodies what you want the consumer to feel based on the brand. Um, and so, you know, with Hopper Reserve, we were very focused on building that core architecture first before the visual identity and before the actual products themselves. I can appreciate that. I would like to touch on the products a little bit. You've talked about sort of the, the connection and the response that you'd like to get from your audience um, or your consumers, but did the same thought process go into the strains themselves? Like, you know, this is an artistic uh, blend or uh, as far as the experience you wanted people to get from using the product. It definitely, it did. And that's a big part of the, the sourcing process around the, the three pre-rolls that we chose. Um, you know, there is a really interesting dynamic right now in the world of cannabis, which is how to properly inform, message, educate a consumer. Mm -hmm. And there are, you know, several different ways of thinking about how consumers understand the various cultivars, which people misrepresent as strains, which people say is an indica, a or a hybrid. Well, for those that have been a little bit closer to the plant, the science of it, they know that that's not really what creates the experience that someone's going to have with a product. It's not that it's an indica flower or cultivar. It's the entirety of what that flower has, all the terpenes, all the cannabinoids, that entire entourage effect. So it's a challenge right now, even for us to think about how to properly message that, but in thinking through the sourcing of it, we did want to find three strains, cultivars that we thought had enough variation in it that people can think about different day parts, or different experiences that they want to have. And that is a little bit more uplifting and creative with a sativa, a little bit more of that, that mind, um, you know, experience. The hybrid kind of blends everything within a multi-use day part and then an indica where it's a more deeper body experience something that's a little more dreamlike um, 
and finding the, the, the flower that best represented that because we want everyone to be able to engage and have an experience that works for them, recognizing my experience with what is technically, or not technically, but classified as an indica um, may be different from someone else. That indica may uplift me because of the terpene profile and put someone else to, to bed. And so it, it's an interesting challenge around packaging and messaging and the science of cannabis that's still um, you know, a, a very wide debate that we intend to have, because that's a big part for us, is how cannabis can create and spark conversations around difficult topics or interesting topics. Um, and, you know, cannabis is part of people's creative uh, process. It's part of people's healing process, depending on what it is that they're consuming for. Well said. Today's episode of Cannabis Tech Talks is brought to you by EPAC Flexible Packaging. EPAC is a digitally based, flexible packaging company serving cannabis brands of all sizes with custom stand-up pouches, lay-flat pouches, and roll stock. Leveraging the latest in digital print technology, EPAC's quick turnaround time, low minimum orders, and ability to easily make design changes provides brands with a simple way to order certified child-resistant packaging. EPAC enables brands to develop smart packaging solutions to verify authenticity, track and trace products journey, and engage with customers like never before. To learn more about EPAC Flexible Packaging, go to epacflexible.com. I'd also like to touch on why you chose to center the product line around, around pre-rolls, at least initially. What was your thought process with that? So Dennis, um, Dennis always had a joint with him. Um, that was really how he always consumed. And, um, you know, it's funny, he has one of these iconic pictures of him holding this little acrylic box with a, a joint and then a bunch of shake in it. And so, you know, we, we realized we wanted to make this easy and approachable for consumers, something they can pick up and experience straight away. And, you know, we, we did actually do a test with a, a whole flower roll your own model, which is really how Dennis would have consumed it back then. Um, but that's challenging for some consumers, especially if they don't know how to roll their own pre-roll, you know, their own joint, or they don't want to have to do that. They don't want to get their hands dirty, whatever it is. We wanted to make that experience easy. Um, it's approachable. It's something that you can essentially think about as a one-off product that I can consume and see if I like the product and or the brand and then come back for more. So we, we chose that single pre-roll for that purpose um, so we can engage more consumers with that experience than, than forcing them down a path of having to purchase a, a large quantity of something that they may not like, which is also okay. I can appreciate that. Um, and I suppose I'll, I'll ask lastly, with so many celebrity driven brands now coming onto the market, in your view, what makes Hopper Reserve unique? There are several differentiating factors. One of the, the big ones for me and how I think about that, and I've worked with many celebrity brands in cannabis already, is that a celebrity brand, if built in a way around the celebrity, is likely not to work very well. Um, it becomes a marketing tactic. And what we have from the beginning decided to do is that this is not a celebrity brand. This is a brand that embodies the life and spirit of a celebrity and an icon, but more around what he represented to the culture and how that can manifest in a brand, which is ephemeral to that, so that people can take that and, and 
take that experience on their own. And so Dennis is not here with us today, so we can't go and do in-store meetings and meet and greets, or he can't do an interview with us, um, but he has done so much of that already that we can use the work that he has and we can tap into this rich, rich archive of creativity. And you know, there are thousands of um, unfinished prints that he has that we want to bring to the world and, and represent who Dennis, you know, is and, and what he represents to a movement. And for, for better or worse, what's happening right now in our society is allowing us to have that conversation again and the parallels to what Dennis was talking about and supporting around civil liberties and being a voice and a spokesperson for those that did not have a voice. Um, that's all relevant today. And so the brand is not Dennis Hopper. It's not, you know, putting someone's face on a package. It's what did he represent to society? What did he represent to culture? What did he represent to his contemporaries? And how is that relevant today? And so from a brand standpoint, it's important that a celebrity brand is really a brand first that is supported by a celebrity, either because of their persona, their marketing ability, or some other means. And, and for us, the difference is we don't have that person with us. So, so what we're really working with is who he is, who we, who we represented to his contemporaries. Um, and, and that's a really powerful form because he was such an appreciator of the arts and a creator of the arts. And, and you know, being friends with Andy Warhol and Roy Lichtenstein and, and you know, his contemporaries is, is so powerful because he gave them platforms. And one of the things that we'll, we'll look to do as a brand is give a platform to artists for their self-expression and for them to be change makers, um, either of today or of tomorrow. And, and that's a big reason why we're doing this is to create the platform, not just for the way we want to express ourselves, but really to allow creators and others to express themselves as well. That's so awesome. And I'd also like to touch on, uh, I guess, another aspect of Hopper's identity was um, his status as a veteran. And I know he's doing some work or the rather Hopper Reserve is now doing some work on behalf of veterans. Could you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, so Dennis himself was not a veteran. Um, his father was. Uh, however, it, it is important to us and there is a huge segment of our population that continues to be left behind and, and that is veterans, those who have fought for this country. And, um, you know, Dennis has been very outspoken about that throughout his career. So for us in partnering with the um, the Future for Veterans Foundation was important because they do a lot of art-based therapy. And, um, you know, unfortunately, statistics are not necessarily in our favor right now where, where 22 veterans commit suicide every day. And mental health and awareness um, outlets, therapeutic outlets are not necessarily available to them. So the work that, uh, you know, they are doing is really important to give veterans community and to give them outlets for self-expression and to deal with trauma. And it was really important for us to work with an organization that is building from a grassroots level. Um, you know, in the way that Dennis was a spokesperson for those that didn't have a voice, we didn't want to go find the biggest, most well-funded uh, organization in, in, in California or in the U.S. that's representing veterans' needs. It's 
those that are on the ground affecting and impacting people's lives one by one in a positive way. And so that was really important to us to have that close connection. And, and that's really what that relationship is about and how we'll continue that relationship. And, and ideally, um, you know, the work we do with veterans that help them will also expand in the community that they're part of and the families that they're part of as well. Yeah, and, and you know, as you have other questions related to the packaging design, the packaging process, I know there's been a lot of conversation around sustainability and waste in packaging in cannabis. And it's yeah. an unfortunate circumstance that we have the need to create that much waste with job resistance, tamper evidence, all these different elements. Um, you know, we, we try and do our best to keep everything glass and or paper cardboard to the extent we can. Um, certainly there are some challenges there, but I, I know there are some other uh, friend of mine, Sabu, who's working on uh, hemp derived plastics. I don't know if you've, you've spoken with him. Um, he's one of the founders of Hanu Lab and Burner Labs. Okay. Uh, but so, you know, even in, from our purpose, being in retail or even direct to consumer where it's more uh, digitally focused, there, there is still an important factor to the quality of the packaging um, not just that something comes in the packaging, but there is some intent behind how we've done that, uh, selecting glass and, and paper to the extent we can. Awesome. I really appreciate you touching on that. Um, it's something that we focused on a lot at Cannabis and Tech today is sustainability in the packaging sector. We'll do the best we can, but, but even those things that are recyclable aren't necessarily the most sustainable either. So. Exactly. Doesn't that kind of drive you crazy that we're not using all hemp materials yet? It does. It does. Um, there's a whole lot of things that drive me crazy with how we, we function in society right now, but that's definitely one of them. Yeah. One of them. yeah. So thank you for joining us, uh, Evan. And it was a pleasure hearing about Hopper Reserve and all the work you're doing. This has been Patricia Miller and Evan Enneman on Cannabis Tech Talks. Please join us next time on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. Oh, my God.